Writer meet characters. Characters meet writer. Boy, do we have a lot to talk about. define your characters? That's a, that's a big question for writers. How do you sit down and create a character? How does that happen? That's not just a question for writers. That's a question I get from non-writers asking me, Matt, how do you sit down and craft a character? This is a big part of taking that idea and turning it into a piece of writing. We've been doing that this series now. We're, we're on episode three of a series, so if you haven't caught up, I recommend going back two episodes now when we talked about forming an idea. But we're talking about taking that idea from, from that little nugget of whatever in your head and putting it on page as a piece of writing. When we talk about that, character becomes a huge part of it. So we're definitely now in what I would call pre-writing. Right, You're not writing your story yet. You're pre-writing. You're coming up with all the background stuff. We talked last week about doing a brain dump and letting everything out. And now we're going to kind of refine that information. Now, as a writer, I tend to believe characters drive story. I don't really worry about plot as much as I worry about character. Character reveals plot to me. You may be different. My method is not the end-all, be-all method for writers. It's not perfect. It's just what's worked for me and what I've developed. So I start by working on characters. Part of that's because that's how you start a play. I originally trained as a playwright, and when you start writing a play, you write character first. Plot, not so much. So how do we create characters? How do we do that? Well, I'm going to tell you how I do it. Maybe it'll help you, and maybe it won't. But as with anything, I say, take it. Use the parts that work for you, get rid of the parts that don't work for you, and just make it your own. Now, another thing before we really dive into this, I can hear my nonfiction writers getting ready to turn me off now because I'm talking about characters, and there are no characters in your nonfiction piece. They are real people. And yet they are characters, and they need to be defined as such in a work of writing. They are. If you read a journalism story about a political candidate or anybody else, the person in that story is a character. Whether they're real or not doesn't really matter. You are portraying someone in a given light. This is the problem we get in with journalism. Everyone expects journalists to act like robots, and they don't. Now, I bounced this off a friend of mine who was a bit of a reporter, and they even talked about using some techniques like this to make sure they were providing a balanced, uh, a balanced approach to, to covering a person in a real-life situation. So that's what we're going to talk about. If you're a nonfiction writer, I encourage you to continue listening, because this might help you. Okay, this just might help you. So let's get started. How do we define our characters? Well, there are some classic methods to doing this, and I want to go over the classic methods, and then I want to go over the method that's actually worked better for me, because I started with the classics, and now I actually have a, a different way of doing this. So the classics are things like character biographies, right? What does the character look like? How tall are they? What do they weigh? What are they wearing? What do they like to do? Where do they go to school? 
I mean, you know, I, I've never been a big fan of character bios, to be perfectly honest with you. I've written a bunch of them. I don't like them. I don't. I've never been a huge fan of the character bio. I know I should be because I've done a bunch of them, but I'm not. I, they're just very statistical. They're very, like, trading card-esque to me. They're there, and if I have nothing else, I might go there, but I'm not a big fan. I, I, I just did a, the old traditional character biography thing. just doesn't run with me. So, what else can we do? Well, allow me to offer another suggestion in the more traditional Department of Character Development. What about 10 events? Now, this was a big one. This was taught to me in, uh, in, uh, in playwriting school in college, in undergrad. Um, Dr. David Crespi, I don't know if he's listening or not, uh, but he was my, my big playwriting professor back when I was a younger man. And uh, I think he's in Spain doing a, I think he's a Fulbright scholar now. I can't remember. I lose some of the details. Anyway, very great guy. Writes a lot on playwriting. You should get some of his books. Um, anyway, Dr. Crespi used to talk about um, using the 10 most important events in a character's life. So 10 events in a life uh, and just write them down. And honestly, as he put it, one of those events should probably be the event of your play because plays happen on special days. So I would echo that for short fiction writers and creative nonfiction writers and say, one of those events should probably be the thing you're writing about. But you write out these, you make this list. First you start, you set a timer. And the way I was taught to do it, you set a timer for a couple minutes and you just write down every event you can think of. Don't worry about the 10 limit, just every event you can think of in their life. Just write them all down quick, quick sentences. Go, 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 go. Don't get any detail, just a few words about what the event was. You know, third birthday party, dad left, blah, 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 blah. Just write them down. Quantity is your goal here. You stop that, you take a timer, you set it for two more minutes, and now you identify the 10 most important events. Now this is where the quality comes in. You put all the quantity out on the page, now you take the quality. You find the 10 most important. And then you start writing a little bit more about those 10 most important events, and, and that will start to, you can do this as many times as you want. I've done this to the point where I went down to the top three and wrote even more detail about those, full scenes on those top three, and, and let me reveal things about my character and the way that they were defined by their past. I, I like this exercise. This is good. I still use this one. I, do, I still use this one. There's other variations on this exercise, which is like put your character in a weird situation, right? Have your characters talk to each other. Break the fourth wall and have your characters talk to you. And, and that's good. All this is good. This is very traditional kind of pre-writing character development stuff. What do I mean by traditional character development? Well, what I label as traditional character development is character development done from within the character, right? When we talk about traditional character development, we talk about uh, a character being defined by who they are, right? We take a lump of clay and we are carving that clay and shaping the character that way. And that's good. It's important. Uh, and even though I don't do all of my character development from this perspective, and I'll explain that in a second, I still use these techniques because it is important to know the character from within, the character shaped as a, as a being that way. But it can be limiting. And when I say it can be limiting, I mean you can create a character that then appears flat on the page or flat in the story. They're not dynamic. We don't know a lot about them. And when we do know things, it comes out in terms of massive blocks of exposition. 
right now we have that character we have to be like well you know bill his second divorce was really hard on him and you know there was a little golden lab and and suddenly we have people telling the story of bill so that all those juicy tidbits we came up with about bill and pre-writing we can get onto the page because it's important to have those and, and I struggle with it. I think every writer struggles with it. I think every single writer at some point in time struggles with this idea of how do I create a character? How do I craft a character that works on the page? Okay, I did my character bio. I talked about their events. I had them go through some wacky situations. I did some stuff with them. I used all the traditional character development things. Cool. I've got them. And then we put them on page, and then we don't know what to do with them. There's a very specific reason why we don't know. Pardon for a small go-go juice break. Uh, This morning is good go-go juice. Uh, There's a very specific reason we don't know. And that reason is that we are defining the character solely by what they are, solely by the space they occupy, right? We are taking a, a, consider your story a giant blank space, and then you put this character in it. And that character is now defined by exactly what they are. So every time we want to expand upon the character, we have to talk about what they are and why they are that. Is this making sense? Because it should be, because that's that's what we're doing, right? The character occupies space, this is the space the character occupies. If you're an art person, you're kind of picking up on where I'm going right now. The character occupies the space, they are defined by the space they occupy. However, there is another way to define a figure in art. You can define the figure via the positive space they occupy or the negative space they do not. Now, negative space drawing is very powerful stuff in artwork. I know a lot of artists who've done this, and it impacted how I now look at character development, which is we can look at characters by the space that they do not occupy, by the things around them. Right, And this is what this right here, this little nugget, do the traditional character development stuff. Don't let me tell you not to do it. I don't do as much of it, but I still do some of it. Do it. Engage in that. Understand what the character is. Shape a character. But then realize that the character is perceived by other people that are not them. The character interacts with other people that are not them. Things happen around the character in this world that are not part of the character's positive space. Negative space defines characters. So, Matt, can you give me an example of an exercise? I sure can. You have a main character. Let's call your main character Sally. And you have Sally, and Sally does stuff, and and we know all about Sally. We have her bio, we've explored her background and everything else. We know all about Sally. Cool. Well, there we go. We've defined Sally. You have other characters. Let's call them Joey, and let's call them Mortimer because I want to get a name that doesn't sound like I pulled it out of a freaking peanut strip. So Joey and Mortimer are your side characters. Here's an exercise. Have Joey and Mortimer talk about Sally with Sally not in the room. Right? Joey and Mortimer in a room. They're going to talk about Sally. Now here's what's interesting. With the character Sally not in the room, you create a space for the characters to have a consequence-free conversation about Sally which allows those two characters to say whatever they want to, which allows us to understand how we perceive, how Mortimer and Johnny perceive Sally. Presumably, we've done a little traditional character work on Mortimer and Johnny, so we know, can I trust Mortimer or Johnny? Maybe Johnny is an absolute liar. He is a terrible kiss-ass and a horrible liar. 
And Johnny will spend his whole time talking about how wonderful Sally is. She's amazing. She's incredible. She's so smart. She's so great. But Johnny is a scumbaggy liar who will say whatever he has to do to garner favor and get stuff. Mortimer is blunt and honest to a fault, and Mortimer finds Sally difficult, complicated, self-absorbed, right? Okay, cool. Sally's really selfish. She's really selfish. She's a real pain in my ass. You know, can't do anything with her. She's so self-absorbed. She's so self-centered. It's terrible. Oh, God, it's horrible. I hate her. Right, Johnny. Oh, she's wonderful. She's great. She's amazing. Maybe Mortimer spends more time with Sally than Johnny does. Maybe Mortimer sees other sides. Now, that seems like, okay, Matt, so it's just traditional character development from a different angle. But wait, this is why we combine them. So let's say that during your traditional character development of Sally, I know we've gotten really into playbook descriptions here, but that's how this this pre-writing game works. Let's say that during character descriptions of Sally, we discovered that Sally is is a drug addict. And she's trying to get clean and she's going through the recovery process. Mortimer thinks she's selfish. Johnny doesn't care. He thinks she's awesome. Does Johnny not spend any time with her? Well, no, Johnny is also an addict. Johnny's one of the addicts she used to hang out with back in the day. He just hasn't seen her since she really tried to get into recovery. Okay, Johnny has a different take on her. See, we're defining Sally by negative space. Sally's becoming complex because different people have interactions with her at different times. Mortimer is her brother. And Mortimer has been trying to get her through this shit forever. So Mortimer has lived with her addiction the entire time. And he's seen it do damage to the family, and he thinks she's selfish and self-centered and a huge pain in the ass. That that works. You see what I'm saying? Now we've defined Sally. Sally is no longer one-dimensional. I'm a recovering addict, and here I am, and I will get better. Now, Sally is a woman struggling with addiction. She has a former addict in her life in the form of Johnny, who will just butter her up for whatever reason. Maybe Johnny wants to sleep with her. Maybe Johnny wants her to give back into the lifestyle of addiction because misery loves company. We don't know. It can be whatever you want, right? But Johnny has that. Sally has that. Mortimer has that. The three of them are interacting in different ways. You can then take and figure out what Mortimer thinks about Johnny. And the more you do this, the more you spend time in the negative space, the space not directly occupied by a character, but dealing with the character's outside effects into the world around them and the world around around them's opinions and impacts on them, you start to create full-blooded people because they exist. Let's take an example. I am autistic. Go, go, juice time. That was like a dramatic line. I am autistic. Time to coffee. So I am. I'm autistic. I have problems with a lot of things. I am not great in interpersonal communication. If you talk to some people, there are people around, a lot of them, I assure you, I know I've heard it, who think that I'm standoffish and an asshole. They don't like me. Right? I get it. I have hard times in social situations. I have hard times verbally communicating. I am not great at it. I can do it with a script or things like that, but when I have to actually do it off the cuff, it's very difficult. The less I know you, the harder it is, right? And I tend to engage in masking behaviors where I'll repeat shit that you say to me for the sake of, like, you know, keeping you satisfied in the conversation because I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. And I don't know how to say that without sounding like an asshole because of the autism. So I, I will often mimic and, and mirror behavior from people towards me, Right? That's pretty interesting. That's a pretty interesting character trait on me as an autistic person. 
take that a step further now, have a random person that knew me in the military or, or whatever, and then have my partner, Marianne, talk. Now, I'm not saying Marianne's going to tell you I'm a saint because I have my problems like everybody has their problems. We live together. We, we do life together. That's just, you don't do that without going through some stuff together, man. Um, but she's going to have a different perspective on some of this stuff because she understands that I am autistic. She sees the day-to-day struggle. She understands it. It's there. It's real for her. Whereas the person who knew me in the military for like five minutes might be like, God, Matt's a prick. But has no knowledge of me. But that doesn't mean that to them I didn't come off as a prick. And that reveals to you as a writer that if I'm your character, I can be short and terse in conversation. I can have problems communicating with people. You see what I'm saying? That makes an autistic character not just a, he is autistic. Let's talk about his autism. He is now an archetype to fill a quota in my story. And makes an autistic person real. You see what I'm saying? It, it makes them real. It makes them, them more interesting. Okay, that's the negative space thing. Right? So we define characters by their space that they occupy. We define characters by the negative space around them. And then there's another part to character development that I really want you to dive into. So again, when you sit down and write your character, here's the space my character occupies. Here's their height, their weight, how they dress, all of these these details. This is the bio. This is the events that were important in their life. Done. Cool. Do that. Take a lot of time doing that. Take as much as you need to understand that character. Okay, this is the next part of my character creation. This is the negative space. These are the opinions of people around them and how they interact with people and what people think of them and how they make people feel. And this is it. There you go. Boom. Done. That's the negative space. Cool. So we've got the positive space they exhibit, the negative space they live in. And the third and final part of this is their wants, needs, and desires. Because human beings have wants, needs, and desires. Right? They do. They have wants, needs, and desires. So how do I distinguish those? Wants are primary motivations for me. When I talk about wants, needs, and desires, wants are the primary motivation of your character. They want shit, right? Characters want shit. They want stuff. That's it. Lord of the Rings, Frodo wants to destroy the ring. He just wants to get this over with. He just wants to get the other end of this adventure. The ring has to be destroyed to save Middle-earth. He's going to do it. Sauron wants that ring. Okay? That's what we call diametrically opposing motivations, right? Frodo wants to destroy the ring. Sauron wants the ring back. They both cannot win. One of them has to lose. That's what makes a story interesting, right? Let's go to something that's a little more, you know, a, a, little, a little lighter, a little easier, right? Boy meets girl. Boy loses girl, right? That whole, that whole chestnut, right? You know, we can, we can get into that. You can dive deep, right? Boy wants girl. Girl doesn't know if she wants boy, right? You can explore that. You can explore that in complicated ways, right? What about boy wants boy, but boy didn't know he wanted boys until just now? What does the other boy think about it? Right? These are the these are the wants, right? These are the primary motivations. These are things that are going to carry your character through the story. Do they want revenge? Do they want love? Are they on a quest? Like, these are the things that are going to carry your character through a story. There's some central core want that they have. I, I, I urge you to really only explore, like, the one want. They should have one really core want, and they can have some other shit on the side. But really, just try to, on your initial character creation, get one good want. Because it keeps you from having muddy characters. I've read a lot of books, some traditionally published and some self-published, that the problem was the character didn't really have one good want. It had like a bunch of other little shitty wants. 
nothing was really well defined. Right? The want. Sometimes the want can be a need. The want doesn't have to exist exclusively about the need. Sometimes they have to do something. Right? We have needs. We have to eat. Right? We have the basic biological needs. We have to eat. We have to poop. We have to, like, have some place to live. Like, right? We have those basic needs. But we also have other needs. What are the needs of your character? Does your character need acceptance from their peers? Does your character need quiet time? Does your character need to feel a sense of fulfillment in their life? I don't know, whatever that is. But a need is something they have to have. Remember that. It's not, my character needs chocolate ice cream. Do they need it? Like, are they going to murder someone to get that bowl of chocolate ice cream? Maybe. Possibly. But they need, a need has to be, like, oh, a need is powerful. And a need, your want, your primary want motivation for your character can be a need. So, for example, let's go to the Stephen King story, It. None of the kids, right, like Bill, let's talk about Bill as kind of the central figure. Bill doesn't really want to go back to Derry, Maine to face the creature. And if you haven't read it, I'm sorry. Spoiler alert, the book's been out for most of my life. Uh, but, you know, that's the thing, right? Like, he doesn't want to go back. He, he's not like, yay, I'm skipping all the way, but he needs to go back. He needs to go back because he made a pact to go back and deal with this thing if it ever comes back. Right? He needs to do it. That becomes his primary want. That becomes his motivation and pushes him forward. And that makes the story interesting because we're like, oh, God, man, I know he doesn't want to do this, but it's not getting any better. He's being drawn back. He has to go. He has to fulfill that promise. He wants to. On some level, he wants to fulfill that promise because if he didn't want to, he wouldn't do it. Right? I can say all the time that it's this need and he's being pulled back, but what makes Bill interesting is on some level, he wants to go back and defeat this thing. See, these don't have to be like side and Get away from this high school creative writing idea where I'm like, wants, needs, desires. Okay, cool. They're mutually exclusive. They're not entirely. They can cross a little bit. So you have your want, primary character want. You have your need, things they need. And then you have their desires, things they want. Just maybe not as much as they want that one thing. These are the side desires, right? You have a character who wants to conquer the world, but also kind of likes this one woman. He wants her. He desires her. He wants the world. He desires her. But man, if they're only supposed to have one primary want, if I'm supposed to focus on one core want, why would I give them desires? Because it fleshes them out. Right? This whole character creation process, and, and what I think trips up writers the most, is you sit down to write a character. Then you go, okay, cool. And you define the character, and then you throw them into situations, and you try to figure it out. And you can do that. It can happen. Next week, we'll talk about, like, outlines and, and free writing or whatever friggin' pretentious name the guys who don't use outlines are using now. Um, I don't know. It's, it's stupid. Writing arguments are generally stupid. But the point being, like, take some time, right? Define the character space and then play with that character a little bit. Yes, it's going to take time away from you writing your actual story, but it's also going to make that character so much more vivid and interesting, is that character, characters that are fully thought out and articulated and developed are far more interesting than basic characters. Right? Like, look, I'm, I'm a movie guy. I love movies. And, and one of the things about The Godfather I always liked is Michael's a really complex character. Michael Corleone, Al Pacino's character in, in The Godfather, is a really complicated character. Like, he wants to stay clean. He wants to do the honorable thing. But he also really wants to protect his family. More than anything, he wants to protect his family. 
And that leads him down some dark roads, guys. Like, he starts this series of films as a war hero come home, and he's going to be nice and legit, no big deal. He doesn't get involved in the family business. And then he is the leader of the damn family business. And he is committing some murders and killing the heads of the five families and all kinds of shit. Right? Complex characters. Complex characters. That's it. Villains are great, but a complex villain. A villain we can sometimes think along with, right? Movie guy. I'm I'm using movie references because I think we all know movie references. I could go to books, but some of these books you might not have read, right? Everyone talked about the use of Thanos in the Avengers movies and how his motivation, as opposed to like his motivation in the comics, which was 70s comic book motivation, but his motivation in the movies is that the universe is overcrowded, there's not enough resources, people want and lose and everything else, and if I get this power, I can just get rid of half the population. It's easy, it's simple, it's a quick culling, and then everyone's got plenty. And it's a random destruction, so it's not, you know, as horrible in his view. And to a degree, you can understand and sympathize his philosophical point. That's what makes him an interesting villain. We get those characters by defining, let's let's do the recap. We're now into the recap. I know that was a lot. I just, I hate you guys with a lot of info today. So let's do the recap. First, we take a character and we define the space they occupy. Right, we take that block of clay and we shape shape a character out of that. There it is. That is the space the character occupies. Then we look outside the character to the characters, other characters in the world, and institutions and places and environments and everything else, and we figure out what the negative space around that character is. What do other people think of them? How do they interact with other people? How do they interact with their world? Boom, negative space. This starts to build layers. Right? It's like a cake. We're building layers. I could say an onion. I don't care. Layers. Cake. I want cake. All right, so we do the negative space. We form their space. We get their negative space. Then, once we have this kind of idea, we really dive deep into what they want, what they need, and what they desire. And remember, we go for that big want. And it helps if that big want means somebody else doesn't get their big want because that creates tension, and tension equals drama, and drama equals readers keeping their eyes on the page. Wow, that was... That was like a lesson in character development in less than 30 minutes, guys. Are there other ways to do it? Sure. There are. There are other ways to do this. This is just how I do it. I define the space they occupy, then I define the space around them, and then I define their wants, needs, and desires, and boom, now I'm ready to write. Depending on the character, that can take a long time or no time at all. I do this a lot now. So sometimes for me, that stuff just happens naturally now. I don't have to think about it as much. And that, that'll happen to you. The more you do this, the less you'll have to think about it. It'll just start occurring to you naturally. You know, you'll be like, oh, okay, well, you know, this and that. Like, if you ever hear, I'm fairly positive James Patterson does not do this with his characters anymore. But if you ever hear him talk about Alex Cross or, or any of his other characters, and I know Patterson, highest paid writer, and we all love to, like, hate him. And that's fair. But the man does know a ton about writing. Then one of the things he knows about writing is, he clearly has built, like, Alex Cross is a big character for him, and he clearly knows Alex Cross, and he has defined Alex Cross in these ways. He knows the space he occupies, he knows the negative space, he knows his wants, needs, and desires. He knows that shit. That's how he can bang out a thousand Alex Cross novels, because he knows it, right? Stephen King knows it when he writes his novels. Every good writer, George Saunders knows it. Every writer knows this stuff. Some of them come to it differently, but this is the base of what characters are. They're people. 
And if you're in creative nonfiction or whatnot, consider these same things as you define people. At very least, analyze your depictions and make sure you didn't depict someone as like a flat thing but made them more interesting. Showed us parts of their life that made them interesting. If they're the central focus of a piece and merit it. Remember, you might do this for some of your side characters and we might see that side character for, you know, a couple chapters, but they're not that important. But I promise you, everyone has a side character they loved because they were super fleshed out. Everyone does, man. Everyone has a side character that they love because they were super fleshed out. Right? That's what we mean. You need those characters so that when they make just a brief appearance, they're so fleshed out that we really get drawn into them, too. All right. That's character development. So this week, if you're keeping up with homework assignments, take that brain dump stuff and all and, and dive deep and work on some characters. Spend some time with them. Get to know them. Treat them like they're people at a party, and you're just going to get to know them a little bit. You won't regret it. It'll be fun. I promise. You'll have a good time doing it. So do that, and then we'll talk about more stuff next week, right? Build some characters. Have some fun with it. Get to know them. They could be cool people. You'll never know until you talk to them. Until next time, I'm Matt, just a working writer, and this has been my confession. I'll talk to you all again real soon. (laughs) 